0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's my honor to be here. I do know a few folks that are here, and it's always good to, to see people. I've been talking with Bonnie Rowe years ago about the possibility of preaching here, so it's nice to be able to actually be here and, and uh, to share the word with you. So thanks, Hans. Appreciate it. Um, and his kids are now at our school, so we've enjoyed having the uh, the Gougers at Providence. Well, let's uh, start by um, just opening up with a word of prayer, and then we will uh, get going. Father, thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. Lord, how often we can get into the habit of coming to worship week after week and leaving the same. But God, we pray now, we pause now and pray that you would Open up our hearts, soften our hearts, so that we would hear your word, and that we would leave here changed, that by the power of your spirit, we would put into practice that which you uh, speak to us about, and it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, often on TV, we see, uh, especially on HGTV, if you guys are, are fans of HGTV, you watch a host of different shows that have home repairs, where they're going in and finding a house that they want to reno, or uh, going in and fixing a house that people already live in. Oftentimes when you see that, you'll see somebody go into the house and you'll see cracks in the walls. And the question that gets asked in these shows is, is that crack in the wall just something that needs to be plastered and repainted? Or is that a symptom of a greater problem? We had the opportunity when we were in ministry in Maryland uh, to build a house. And within the first year, uh, they give us a warranty that they come back and fix anything that needs to be fixed within the year. Well, within that first year, we noticed that there were some cracks in the wall. And we could have gotten really nervous because this is a brand new home. But the reality was, we understood that there's a difference between a crack in the wall that comes from from the house settling and a crack in the wall that's the result of a foundation problem. You can't... If your problem, if you see a crack in the wall because the foundation has a problem, the foundation of your house has been shifting no matter how much you patch the wall, it won't fix the problem. That crack in the wall will come back over and over and over again, and will often be joined by other cracks in the walls. Because the crack in the wall, when it's a foundation problem, is not the problem. The crack in the wall is a symptom of a greater problem, and that problem being a foundation. Foundation is the most critical aspect of a home. It keeps moisture out. It resists movement. It insulates the house even from the cold. So it's got to be strong enough to build the load of the entire house. Well-built foundations keep everybody within the household, the occupants, safe. So as we come to this passage of Scripture, a famous passage of Scripture, one that people have often heard, uh, we recognize, we put it within its context that this is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the conclusion of this section, as Pastor Guger said, that has, that, that's been this series of twos that have been warning against counterfeits, about counterfeit discipleship. So there are two ways, two gates, two paths, I think is the way it was preached here. So, so two different ways, a wide one and a narrow one. And then there were two types of trees, trees that are healthy trees that produce good fruit and trees that are not healthy that produce bad fruit, in reference to the false prophets, false teachers. There were two claims, so one says, Lord, Lord, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven. And then the following even more elaborate claim, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus has replied to those two claims, and he says, I never knew you depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Two ways, two trees, two claims, and now we come to two builders and two foundations. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, as we read verses 24 through 27. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. So we come to this passage where Jesus is, is, is using a, a final illustration, a simile, where he is likening two different types of builders and two different foundations to two different types of people. And in the first one, he says, <clears throat> everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. In other words, it's whoever's hearing my words. And in this immediate context, it's a sermon on the mount. You could, we can stretch it out even broader and talk about all of Jesus's teachings. And perhaps even in a broader context in all of the word of God. But whoever hears these words and does them will be like the wise man. There is a danger that we face when we come to church every week, when we study our scriptures. Or when you go to seminary uh, and earn a degree in biblical studies. Or you go to a Christian school where you're learning the scriptures in your classes. Or you're going to a, to a time of kids' worship where you're or, or, or a small group where you're learning the word. The danger can be that we learn... The scriptures, but we don't apply them. When I was going off to seminary, I had a well-intentioned friend said, why are you going to cemetery? Oh, I mean seminary. And I was like, why, why would you say that? But, but it, that, that stigma came because there's this ideology that when people go to seminary, they learn, get all this head knowledge, but don't put it into practice. And that is a danger Because we're spending hours upon hours every day studying the scriptures, learning the word of God so that then you could come back and faithfully uh, explain it and teach it and then uh, put it into practice in the lives of of your people. The danger is that when you're spending so much time in that or as as you get into the routine of coming to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, that you hear all of these things but you don't apply it. And Jesus gets right after that. Whoever hears these words and does them, it's not good enough just to have intellectual assent, to say, I believe these things intellectually, or I know about them. It's, it's, it's got to go beyond that and saying, you got to know it, you got to hear it, you got you to hear that. You, it's a good thing to know the word of God. It's a good thing to study the word of God. It's a good thing to, to come to church every Sunday. It's a good thing to go to seminary. But if all you're doing is getting head knowledge, you've missed the mark. The goal is to put what you learn into practice, to apply the word of God. This is the heart of, of Habakkuk 2.4 when, when he says, The just shall live by faith. Faith there, the Hebrew word emonah, really talks about faithfulness. We, we, we need to look at faith and we look at works. They're really two sides of the same coin. There shouldn't be. There sh, you know, you should, works without faith is dead. It's 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 legalism, or it's trying to attain work towards God's God's ple, his uh, his approval. But faith without works is what James says is dead. They're really two sides of the same coin. If you have faith, it should show up in works. And that's what Habakkuk talks about. the The, the, the just will live by their faithfulness to the covenant, faithfulness to God's standards. And we see three New Testament authors quoting Habakkuk 2.4. As I was preparing to, to preach and preparing the message for this, I pulled up the vision statement at Genesis Community Church. And the very first statement under vision is conform to Scripture. So This is what encouraged me as I was getting ready to come here. This is what your website says. This is what you guys hold as, your, as one of your core visionary goals. Conform to scripture. There is not a more authoritative source of truth about life than the Bible because it is inspired by God himself. As a church, we want to not only accept this fact, but embrace it and arrange our lives around it. Embracing it is believing it to be true. But then your next statement is arrange our lives around it, shifts from just believing it to be true to putting it into practice. The elders of the church place this first in the list of defining qualities because, because all other qualities flow from it. If Genesis Community Church is not serious about conforming to Scripture, then we cannot expect to have a full and powerful experience as worshipers of God and ministers of the gospel. It's a great statement. It's a great core value of which you are building your church upon. To conform your lives to the scriptures. This is exactly in alignment with what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 7. That he who hears them and does them. Well, what is that person like? That person is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, as we talk about wisdom, let's pause for a minute and talk about the Hebrew concept of wisdom. Wisdom, again, is not just mere intellectual belief. It's not just mere knowledge. It doesn't exclude knowledge, but it's not the core center of it. Remember Proverbs 30, I think it's 24 or so. Uh, the, the writer of Proverbs likens the, the wise person to four different small creatures ants, rock badgers, lizards, one more, locusts, right? So you had these four different creatures, and we wouldn't look at a, a, an ant and say, man, that ant sure is smart. Uh, he's not going to be getting a, a 1,600 eyes SATs, right? That's foolishness. But an ant yet is considered wise because he puts some practical, skillful principles into living as a small creature. The Hebrew concept of wisdom is not just mere intellectual knowledge. Now, in my role as a head of school, this is something we have to warn our kids about all the time. Because what we're going after at Providence is we want to see see graduates that are known for their character, their knowledge, their discernment, and their communication. That's what we're going after as a school. Uh, but all of that is not just, is, it's not just we're just getting after knowledge. Because what we have to fight, at, fight against as, as a school is that intellectual knowledge can puff up. What we're getting after is students that can live wisely, that can go into the world and live with wisdom. So what is wisdom? Wisdom, if if you can think back on on the beginning of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I think we can make a clear definition that wisdom is the moral, hence fear of the Lord. We can put moral uh, within the sphere of the fear of God. The moral and skillful ability to navigate oneself through life. That as we're living through this life, if we're going to live wisely, it's going to come with the sense of, of, of walking in the fear of the Lord, and it's also going to come with the sense of skillfully navigating yourself through life. Because as the book of Proverbs is going to say, you're going to have people calling out to you. You're going to have friends that try to influence you to do wrong. There's all these types of temptations to try to get you to, 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 to live foolishly but we want to be wise. And he says, the wise builder here builds his house on the rock. Now, Jesus was a master at using his environment to drive home a point and to persuade his audience. Uh, Remember, this is a Sermon on the Mount. He's on the hillside here. If you've been to Israel, you've seen at least a potential location of where the Sermon on the Mount happened. They're around the Sea of Galilee. You have all different types of terrain there. You have mountains there. You've got sand around the, around the sea there. And he's using that to drive home a point. Now, in, in, the, in Israel, especially in the region of Galilee, you would have winter rains. And before the winter rains come, the area is pretty dry. And during the summer months, the sand, you could see the sand around the Sea of Galilee, and it looks like it's rock hard. But if you're foolish, you tend to think that, that the way it looks is the way that it really is. But when the winter rains come, the water then hits the, hits the sand and that, wa- that sand is no longer rock hard, it becomes shifting. So if you're building a house around the Sea of Galilee and you see that rock hard sand, you're foolish if you just build on top of that. Instead, you've got to dig down sometimes maybe 10 10 feet down, three meters down, and get to the bedrock. And you build your house upon the bedrock and not the sand. Jesus knew this. He knew the audience. The audience knew it. So he was using that environment to drive home a point. If you want, and especially those, again, those that have been to Israel, you see these dry wadi beds that are that are, a wadi is a, is a, is a bed or a, or a valley, a small valley that's dry when it's not raining. But when the rains come, that wadi, what that dry piece of ground, now becomes a flowing stream, a river, and it can be dangerous. You get swiped away in it, you get washed away in it. And here he's saying, look, when the rains come... <clears throat> The floods came, the winds blew, the floods are, are driving down those streams and hitting the house. But he says, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon a rock. The wise man builds his house to be able to withstand anything. But here's the deal. If you're going to build your house upon the rock, that requires a little bit more work. It's easier to build it upon the sand because you don't have to dig down deep. But if you're going to build it on the rock, you've got to do some extra work. It's easier to read the word. It's easier to hear the word. It can be even easier to memorize the word. What's harder is to put it into practice. It's harder to say, here is the word that was preached. Here is the word that I just read, the word that I studied. Now, what area in my life needs to change? What belief in my mind needs to change? How do I take what, what, what God just said and put it into practice in my life? Because the storm is going to come. And storms will reveal your foundation. In wisdom literature, the storms can often be a time of trouble. <clears throat> if, we're, if we're looking at the storms, I really think at this passage there are two different Um, referent points to the storms. One is a time of trouble that happens in your life. The other is more eschatological, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. But if we look at several several passages in Proverbs, I'll just highlight Proverbs 10.25 for a minute. Proverbs 10.25 says, When the tempest, or when the storm, passes... The wicked is no more, or the wicked are swept away. But the righteous is established forever. Literally, the text says here, the righteous are an everlasting foundation. The Hebrew text actually uses the word foundation here. In other words, when storms of life come, the righteous have a strong foundation to live. Proverbs 12, similarly 12.7. The wicked are overthrown and are no more. In other words, the wicked lack stability. In fact, if we think about Psalm 1, they're like the shaft which the wind drives away. But the house of the righteous will stand. The whole house is able to withstand the trials of life. I just alluded to Psalm 1. The, The Remember the the context of Psalm 1, a very familiar passage. Blessed is the one who doesn't associate with those types of people, but instead delights in the law of the Lord. In his law, he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree planted by streams of water that builds its fruit in its season. But the the ungodly, the wicked are not so, but are like the shaft which the wind drives away. This is another metaphor or or another picture from from the ancient East. What are the shafts? Well, when they would pull the grains off, they would they would go over the grains with the threshing tool that would separate the, the the grains from the straw, the shaft. And, and in Israel, when the winds of the of the afternoon come, they would take a shovel and they would put it into the into the into the into the mixture of the the grain and the shaft, throw it up in the air, and the wind would blow the worthless shaft away, and the heavier grain would fall to the threshing floor so that they would keep it. So the wisdom literature says, look, when the storms of life come, the wicked can't withstand it. They crumble under it. Well, what's the application for us in life? What kinds of trials is this true for? I think it's all kinds of trials. This is why James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, all sorts of them. How we, you know, the pandemic response, the pandemic trials, our political responses, our political trials that we're facing, sickness in the family, family trials, struggles within the family, fighting tension, school trials, trials for those whose bracket is already busted after the first round, (laughs) whatever trials that you face, um, those who build their house upon the rock will withstand it. Listen, we just sang a song, It Is Well With My Soul. You guys know the story behind that? Horatio Spafford wrote that song. Horatio Spafford wrote it after he had already experienced the death of one child, died to pneumonia when he was young. He was a, he was a lawyer and a businessman. His business had been burned in Chicago. He was still doing okay, but he decided to send his wife and the remaining four children overseas on a cruise. And he, instead of being on that same cruise ship, had to stay back and take care of business and planned on getting on another cruise ship to go over there four days later. On that cruise ship, that cruise ship uh, ran into another ship and sank. Sailor found his wife floating in the ocean, saved his wife, all four of his other children died. He gets on a ship, heads back over to meet his wife, and on that ship heading over to meet his wife, he writes that hymn, It is well with my soul. I can't even fathom that. The loss of five children, and you're able to write when when storms are coming and sea billows roll, yet it is well with my soul. Why? Why? Because this life is not our home. And no matter what happens in this life, our foundation is Christ. We will see our kids again. We will see our loved ones again. Whatever happens, it can be well with our souls. So I think there's this reality that when Jesus is talking about when the storms of life come, he's talking about the general storms of life. When the pressures, the trials, the tests of life come. But there's another element here, and I think he's, he's also alluding to Isaiah 28, and I'm going to go there for a minute. <clears throat> In Isaiah 28, he says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold... I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, or I am laying a foundation in Zion might be the better way to translate it, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. Whoever believes will not be panicking. And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter Paul quotes this in Romans 9. He quotes it again in Romans 10. Peter quotes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, where they say that this passage was, was speaking to the Messiah. And if we, if we flip back to our passage in Matthew, the last section that we just saw here, Jesus had talked about not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus is, is, is making it very clear about who he is. That he has authority, even in verse 21, authority to, to say who gets into the kingdom of heaven. He is the stone that has been laid. And from a, from a, from a, a future destination standpoint, an eschatological standpoint, an end time standpoint, the one who builds his house on the, on, on the stone, who hears these words and does them, will withstand the judgment that's to come. That when it comes time to judging man, the person who has built his house upon the rock will stand. In contrast, the foolish builder. And everyone, verse 26, who hears these words of mine and does not do them. So again, it's not just good enough to hear because you can hear it and not do them, he says is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I think that's true in normal daily life. That if we, if, if we pretend to have faith or we just intellectually ascend to things or even if we hear Jesus' teachings and reject them, we're building our house upon sand. Both homes face the same threat: the rain, the floods, the winds. Come to both homes; they both appear stable when the weather is good. Only the storm reveals the quality of one's foundation. So, how you res- how you respond to a storm in your life may be a sign of where your foundation's really laid. Consider introspectively, as we talk about putting God's word into practice, consider the the recent trials that you faced in your life. And think about how you responded. The rock or sand? There's another thing I really want to highlight here, and that is the radical nature of what Jesus is saying. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine, this is radical to the original audience. I mean, put yourself in that context. Jesus is not saying the law, which is what all of Judaism would have expected to hear. He's not appealing to the law, but but, but to following his teaching. And to be sure of it, he's not saying reject the law because in five seventeen he says, don't think that I've come to re- to to uh, to what did he say in five seventeen uh, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them." Again, the immediate context, his teaching is authoritative. We see this the nature of how a Jewish person would have responded in a couple of places. We see it in in the, in the Talmud, um, in Abot de Rabbi Nathan, um, in other words, this is the, the fathers according to Rabbi Nathan. So in other words, in the Talmud, it, it, the Talmud is carrying a, a group of oral tradition of what their oral earlier Jewish fathers would have taught. And it also has some interpretation in times too. In this section, he's quoting Elisha ben Abayu as to what he has supposedly had taught. Now, if we go back and we look at Elisha Ben-Abayu, he was born in Jerusalem uh, prior to 70 AD, prior to the fall of Jerusalem. So he's just slightly after the lifetime of Jesus. So, And what Elisha Ben-Abayu is doing is it's giving us a little bit of 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 a mindset of what Jewish people would have thought about during this time. Elisha Ben-Abayu says, one who has good deeds to his credit and has studied the Torah. Now, I like that, right? It's very similar to what Jesus is saying. It's not just studying the Torah, but it's also good deeds. But notice it's good deeds and has studied the law. A great deal to what is to studied the law of the Torah a great deal. What is he to be likened? To someone who builds first with stones and then with bricks. Even though a great flood of water comes and washes against the foundations, the water does not blot them out of their place. So they, the, the Jewish teachers use similar terminology even, but notice what they said. It's the one who studies the Torah a great bit. And what's radical here is that Jesus is saying, who hears these words of mine, and does them. You know, the the, the Jewish scripture is divided into three sections Uh, in the Jewish scripture. So we we talk about it often in the law the prophets, I'm sorry, the law the historical books, uh, the poetic books, the major prophets, and the minor prophets in our English Bibles. We divide the Old Testament into those five categories. In the Jewish Bible, they're divided into three sections. The law, or the Torah, the the prophets, the Nevi'im, and the writings, the Ketuvim. So the Torah, the, the, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim. Now, the prophets in the Jewish Bible doesn't just include what we call the major and minor prophets. It's broken down into the former and the latter prophets. The first former prophet is Joshua. It's part of the historical books. And then the writing section in the Hebrew Bible starts with the book of Psalms. Psalm 1. Now, pause for a second. Think about the structure of this. The Old Testament starts with the first five books, what we call the Torah, the Law. The first book in the next section, in the Nevi'im, the first book is the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 starts with an emphasis on the Torah, right? The person That is going to be successful joshua if you're going to want success make sure you don't depart from the law do what's written therein the next section of the hebrew bible the 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 ketuvim the writings starts with psalm 1 what's the emphasis of psalm 1 that blessed is the person that meditates in the word day and night the jewish mindset was clear If you want to be blessed in your life, if you want to be stable, you study the scriptures, you study the law. It's in their mindset. So when Jesus comes on the scene and says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, that's a shock for his audience. And it's also a a rebuke against the current leadership. Because, and ultimately, he's saying, Who has authority to teach? Who has authority to, to, that you should listen to? Is it me or is it the religious leadership? Which one are you going to follow? And if you're just hearing my words and not doing them, your house is built on sand. But if you hear it and you do it, your house is built on a rock. Jesus draws a line in the sand, if you would. You're either going to follow me or you're not. And Jesus had lots of hard sayings like this. In John six, he said something similar, and 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 some of the people that were leaving left. He said, "I don't want to follow him anymore." Jesus's claim is really unprecedented. He's more than a prophet. He's more than a rabbi. He is the fulfillment of the messianic promises. Now, in our context, we we aren't. Not, I don't think anybody in here is, is being challenged in the way that Jesus' original audience was. We're not hearing from the, from the local rabbi teaching us his version of the law. Most of us here have acknowledged that Jesus' claims are true. That's why we're here. But within the Christian church, the reality is, I think there are some challenges that we face. And we often compromise Jesus' words. And we're going to be faced with more challenges in the coming days and years. What ways do we compromise? Here's one way. I think we as people, we like to be loved. And especially by our loved ones. And some of our loved ones believe differently than us. So the question's going to come. Oftentimes, when we find ourselves in situations, we don't want to offend our loved ones with what we really believe. So we water it down or we compromise the scriptures. Now, I'm not saying that we should be abrasive, but there's a temptation there uh, that when when our loved ones uh, that don't believe like we believe are becoming more and more like the world, there's going to be a tension that you're going to face between you and your loved ones. And the question's going to come, are you going to stand on the rock in a winsome, engaging, loving way, or are you going to compromise the scriptures? Sometimes we compromise because we fear we don't want to be known as an extremist. Or sometimes we compromise because we want our—we we know what our flesh wants, and we will compromise what the scriptures actually teach or rationalize it so that we can justify our sin. And I think this is often a way as well that sometimes we ignore the scriptures. Maybe when we first came to to know the Lord, we, we had a great passion for the word of God and we were zealous for studying the word of God and knowing the word of God and applying the word of God. But then somewhere later in our life, we found ourselves in a rut and we're no longer prioritizing the scriptures. So we don't even know that we're compromising the word anymore. What do we read? What do we study? What do we apply? And in, in my, my position, I'm often looking at best practices, right? We, you in the business world, you're often hearing, what are best practices for this? The same is true for the school industry. What's the best practices for a school? And oftentimes, some of those best practices come from those outside of the Christian community. And they're, it's truth. So it's things that we should follow, and we put them into practice, because if we want to have a stable school, we should have best practices to make sure that we're doing things from a budgetary standpoint that's wise. So there's a lot of wisdom to doing that, but then there's this caution, because when I'm looking at the best practices, I've got to consider, well, while they're saying this, does it really align with the truth of the Word of God? Where am I going to build my foundation on what this expert is saying is best practices, or on what the scriptures say is true. So you got to balance it. What time, at what point does what's said from the experts is best practices, at what point does that contradict the scriptures? What are we applying? I believe we're going to face a whole host of challenges in the Christian community. And we need to make sure that we stand on the rock. We need to recognize that those who differ from us uh, are not our enemies, right? They're our mission field. Sometimes they're our brothers and sisters in Christ that just think differently than we do. But it's not that we're oppositional and we're, 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 we're coming aggressively against people that think differently. No, we're, 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 this, this world is not our home. But that doesn't, also doesn't mean that we cater and we cave in and we give up our faith. We need to stand strong. Jesus' statement, Everyone who hears these words of mine, there is no alternative foundation for life. You cannot ignore responding to Jesus and his teaching. It's not a, Jesus isn't coming and saying, "This is the way I recommend that you live life. This is a call to allegiance. Are you going to surrender to his lordship? I learned a lesson. When I first started Bible college, um, my first class in Bible college, it was on Christian living. And there was a simple mathematical formula that was applied to the Christian life. It's rate times the time equals the distance. You guys remember that from your schooling days? Rate, how fast you go, times the time equals the distance. If I'm driving 60 miles an hour and I drive for one hour, I've gone 60 miles. If I drive 20 miles an hour for that same hour, I've only gone 20 miles. Well, the same is true for our Christian life. The distance that we want to go in our walk with the Lord is going to be based on two factors, our rate and our time. How long and how fast. How fast, how hungry are we after, are we going after the things of God? Studying the scriptures, not just studying them, but applying them. How, what's our rate looking like? This is why somebody that's new to the faith, that comes in on fire for the Lord, can be more mature than somebody that's been in the church for 20 years. Because their rate, they're hungering after the things of God. Your rate. Time's the time. So you get somebody that's a seasoned saint that's been. On, you know on fire for the Lord been been walking with the lord diligently over 20 30 40 years you've got somebody that's very wise and is and is walking intimately their distance their the distance that they've gone with the Lord is tremendous it's far beyond what I could ever dream of so the question is are we are you or am I a wise or a foolish builder do you have cracks? in your walls, if there are cracks in your walls, are they symptoms of a bigger problem or do they just need some plaster on it? Do you need a new foundation or perhaps do you need to return to the foundation that you laid your life upon in earlier times? The wise person hears and does what Jesus says. Amen? Coming up on Easter, allegiance to Christ is what he said is required. I would challenge you to start thinking about people in your life, if you haven't already, to where you can start sharing the good news of Christ with. That you can start talking about and sharing with these words of, of, of Jesus' and uh, leading them to faith, inviting them to worship with you as you celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, for the simple illustration that Jesus taught at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Help us, Lord, to put it into practice in our daily living. Help us to be committed to hearing your word, but not just hearing it, but doing it. And we'll be careful to give your name the glory, the honor, and the praise.